If you are religiously following our preaching schedule, you will know that today Pastor Caroline is supposed to preach. But of course, she's down with COVID, so the preaching schedule is going to be a little bit different if you are following our bulletin and all that. Uh, next week, she will preach instead of uh, me. And also, song leader also down with COVID. Jai has to stand in at the very last minute. And this morning, someone doing the computer also down. And we have a lot of uh, this kind of things going around. So stay safe. If possible, wear mask where it is possible. Uh, since we are going through and studying the Lord's Prayer, I thought it would be helpful if we can recite the Lord's Prayer together. Whatever version that you're comfortable with, that you grew up with, um, let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We have covered a couple of points already. Today, what I want to do is to cover the second and third petitions. Jesus said, this is how you should pray, our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have covered already a few things. Last week I covered hallowed be your name. This morning I want to touch on your kingdom come and your will be done. What does Jesus actually mean when he taught his disciples to say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Oscar Wilde is an Irish playwright. He always a very interesting quote that I really like and one of them is this he said when the gods wish to punish us they answer our prayers when the gods wish to punish us they answer our prayer meaning to say that sometimes you ask for so little isn't it so as a form of punishment you're given what you ask for it's a little bit like if you go to some Asian countries and you go sh night market shopping. You go to the first store and you like this bag very much and then they say $100. You say, no, no, $100. Asian, we all, we all bargain, you know. It's the best time to, to, to bargain. My wife is very good at that too. Always, you know, when we were in Korea, she was good, man. And uh, you say, $70. And the person said, oh, 70 years, why not give to you? And then you walk a little bit down, $50. <laughs> they haven't even bargained, $50, opening price. You walk a little bit down, $30. <laughs> so you literally get what you want. $70, you think you have a good buy, which in reality you can probably buy five with 70 bucks. So Oscar Wilde, in a very witty way, said when the gods wish to punish us, they answer our prayers. Because what you ask is so uh, little and so uh, you think that that is actually what you, 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 you like best. And God punish us by answering our prayer. When I was growing up as a Christian, I read 
the author uh, Philip Yancy. I read a lot of his book. Philip Yancy, he's a thinker. And one of the books that he wrote is called Disappointment with God. And Philip Yancy in the book, book quotes a letter that articulates the problem of unmet expectations in all its excruciating reality. And this is what he said. He said, Matt Woodson lost two children to cystic fibrosis and her daughter's death at age 23 was particularly traumatic. And the following words speak of her pain and, and, and her doubt as she struggled to cope with what happened. And this is what she said, which Philip Yancy quoted. He said, I was sitting beside her bed a few days before her death when suddenly she began screaming. I was never forget, I will never forget those shrill, piercing, primal screams. It's against this background of human beings falling apart that God, who could have helped, looked down on a young woman devoted to him, quite willing to die for him, to give him glory, and decided to sit on his hands and let her die. You know, your question maybe you ask is, does God sometimes sit on his hand? Does God sometimes choose to do nothing? Does God sometimes opt for silence when I'm screaming my loudest? There's one point when you encounter human pain and human struggle, your response is like that. Second example is Cory Ten Boon a Dutch lady who suffered greatly in a concentration camp. And this is what she said. She said, deep in my heart, we believe in a good God. Yet how shallow is our understanding of His goodness? How often I have heard people say, how good God is. We prayed and it would not rain for our church picnic and look at the lovely weather. God is so good. And she said, yes, God is good when He sends good weather. But God was also good when He allowed my sister, Betsy, to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. God is equally good. Whether He's giving us good weather or seeing my own sister die in a concentration camp. She said one occasion she was very discouraged. Everything around her was so dark and there was darkness in my heart, she said. And I remember telling Betsy that I thought God had forgotten us. And Betsy said, no, Corey, he has not forgotten us. Remember his word, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Corey concludes, there is an ocean of God's love available. There is plenty for everyone. May God grant you never to doubt that victorious love, whatever the circumstances may be. You must be wondering why do I kickstart my sermon on thy kingdom come and your will be done with these two instructions. Because the word kingdom of God has a lot of connotation that I can want to help you to understand these words. And by understanding that word, it helps you to move in the terrain of your Christian journey here on earth. Because no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, 
No matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, and comfortable with friends and family, no matter how well you try to manage all those things, let me assure you that something will inevitably ruin it for you. Something will definitely ruin it for you. 100%. No matter how well you can plan And that is why Timothy Keller says, there is no way to get through life unless you know how to get through suffering. And there is no way to get through suffering unless you have a living hope. Unless you have a living hope. And I hope this morning, as I unpack this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. You will be able to see what God actually was teaching, what Jesus was teaching us. And then when you understand that, it will help you to manage the terrain of your journey here on earth. When we talk about kingdom of God, what is kingdom of God? Jesus said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. But what exactly is kingdom of God? When we think of kingdom, we think of united kingdom. David Paulson said, United Kingdom is neither united nor it is a kingdom. We think of physical sphere. We think of kingdom of Bhutan or Saudi Arabia. We think of physical dimension, space, territory or politics as in a national kingdom. But actually the Bible tells us kingdom of God means God reigns. God's rule. God's sovereign control. So when you think of kingdom of God, you must think of God's reign. God is reigning. God is ruling. God is sovereignly in control. That is the meaning of kingdom of God, God's reign. It is not referring to a physical sphere, but it's a spiritual want. That God's kingdom, God's reign in our hearts when we submit our life to Jesus. But I want you to know, because a lot of people confused. Kingdom of God is already here. When Jesus came, dwelt on earth for 30 years, he went to the cross, I mean, 30 years started his ministry, he died on the cross, he resurrected from the dead, he ascended to heaven, and then he sent down the Holy Spirit to, to empower us. That's where church is born. The kingdom of God is already here. God usher in the kingdom of God usher in his reign in our hearts when Christ come. But God's kingdom is also in the future. So you must understand this phrase. If you understand this phrase, his kingdom is already here, but his kingdom is also in the future. There are plenty of verses in the gospel. Next time when you read the gospel, try to think which kingdom of God that God is talking about. Is it present? That is already here when Jesus Christ came? Or is he talking about the future? Kingdom of God is already here, but it still completely lies in the future. So we are living in the in-between time of this already, but not yet. Let me show you this, this uh, uh, thing. It's easier for you to, to understand. We are living here. This is the present. This is the time that we are living in. We are probably somewhere down here, maybe. I don't know where. 
but definitely past this line because this is where Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He came, he dwelt on earth, he died on a cross, he resurrected, he ascended to heaven. This is what we call kingdom inaugurated. Kingdom, he inaugurated the kingdom. God's reign, no longer in the nation of Israel, but in the heart of people, he inaugurated this kingdom inaugurated and so now we are here and then the bible also tells us that the kingdom will be completely consummated in the future which is the second coming of christ so here is the first coming here is the second coming so we are now living in this period overlap the ages now but not yet now not yet the kingdom of god is already here but not completely here yet in the sense it's a little bit by sarah you're pregnant your baby you, you already have your baby six months five months five months six months seven months uh, six months but your baby is not here yet he's here but he's not here yet so the kingdom of god is already here but it is still in the future the full consummation of it is in the future. So that means to say, while the kingdom of God is already here, when we submit our life to Jesus Christ, we can experience some wonderful things that happen here in our lives. But we cannot experience completely what we hope to experience because it still lies in the future. Let me give you a few examples. Though Jesus, through Jesus, our sins are already forgiven. Yet because of the not yet, we will struggle with the power of sin in our lives. We still struggle. You can't completely eliminate sin. You may be sinless, but you cannot be sinless. Through Jesus, our salvation is already guaranteed and we are promised complete healing and restoration when Christ comes again. But because of the not yet, we still got COVID. We still have cancer. You still have stroke, diabetes, Alzheimer, you name it. Because we are in the not yet, in this zone, that you can experience something but completely not yet. In this in-between time, we know God, we know Heavenly Father, we read the Bible, but we don't know Him fully. Not clearly, not completely. We can understand him wrongly in some sense. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, the famous chapter on, on the book of uh, Corinthians on love, he says towards the end in verse 12, right now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So in this time, this period is known as the church age. The church age. The powers of evil and darkness have been defeated by Jesus through his death and resurrection. But because of the not yet, there's still evil in this world. The devil is defeated. He's on a leash. But it's a very long one. Long one. So when, we, when Jesus said, you pray your kingdom come, we are not asking for the already part of the kingdom. Maybe the Old Testament prophet looking forward the coming of Christ in the first coming. 
but we are here. So we're kingdom come, we are asking God to come in the second coming, the future kingdom. So when we pray your kingdom come, we are not asking for the already part of the kingdom. We are looking forward to the not yet part. Now understanding this will help you tremendously in your life here on earth. I'll give you a quote by Timothy Keller. There are some big words there, but I, I will unpack it for you. He says this, he said, God's kingdom is present in its beginning, but still future in its fullness. This guards us from an under-realized eschatology, which means to say, by knowing that it's still in the future, it will prevent you from having the thought, oh, the pie is in the sky in the future. It's not nothing we're going to experience. It's still in the future. You can suffer like a, like a mad dog or whatever. You know, it's not the case because you still can experience some uh, wonderful things here on earth now because Christ has already dawned. So this will guard us from an under-realized eschatology, expecting no change at all, or an over-realized eschatology, expecting all change now, which some of the extreme Pentecostals are having this problem. Because they think that you always must receive healing forever, everything is... But these are the things that you can only experience in the future, but not now. So it, it prevents you from making these two mistakes. So in conclusion, he says, in this stage, we embrace the reality that while we are not yet what we will be, we are also no longer what we used to be. I hope you're following me. The tension of already here, but still in the future. And we are living in this period of time. That we can experience the wonderful good things of Christ because He already inaugurated this world. We submit our life to Him. But we still struggle because the consummation of it is still in the future. So this tension... So it will help us in the way we handle our life here on earth as believers, understanding that a lot of things are still in the future while we can still experience beautiful and tremendous things here on earth. J.I. Packer says, God's kingdom is not a place, but it is a relationship. It exists wherever men enthrone Jesus as a master of their lives. The kingdom begins in us. If you come to Jesus and enthrone Him as your master, you will belong to the kingdom. And God's kingdom will be in you because God's reign will be in you because now the throne is your heart and you are asking Jesus to sit at the throne of your heart. Already, not yet. Present, but still in the future. You can experience some wonderful things, but the complete experience of Things on earth is still in the future. So when Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth is in, it is in heaven. When you ask God's kingdom to come quickly, you are affirming three things. In the remaining time, I'll give you three things. The first one is, when you say your kingdom come and your will be done, we are affirming that God's will must always come first. You know, as a, as a believer, when we give our life to Jesus, as we run our race here on earth, there's always this tension between our will and God's will. What we want to do and God asks us to do this. There's always this tension. It's all, it will stay with us forever. Because of this master, you know, we are our master, Christ is our master. 
and sometimes our fleshly sin return back to us, we continue to want to, there's always this tension. But when we say and make this Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. By saying that, we are affirming that God's will must always come first. Did you know that when you close in prayer, we always say, we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Did you know that some circle nowadays, we are going so extreme now, they are proposing, we say, a woman. I'm serious. A woman. You can't say amen now. Certain sector, you cannot. Sometimes they change around, say a woman or amen. But the word amen is, is more than a way to say, that's all God, I'm signing off, Amen. No, this word actually literally means, may it be so in accordance with the will of God. That is the meaning of the word amen. May it be so in accordance with the will of God. Amen. May it be so, Lord. May it be so according to your will. One author said the word amen is a marvelous reminder that any discussion on prayer must begin with the understanding that prayer is a means of bringing us into conformity with God's will, not a magic mantra that ensures God's conformity to ours. Or someone beautifully said, God created us in His image. We return Him a favor by creating Him in our image. Jesus himself, or Mary, remember Mary, the mother of Jesus, when, he re when she received revelation from the angel that she's going to give birth to Jesus, and she said, well, how can I? I'm a young woman, I'm a virgin, I'm not even married. How can I conceive a baby? And then the angel said, well, this is what will happen, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and all that. And then she, her, she, her conclusion is, may it be to you, Lord to your will. I submit myself to your will. I submit it to your will. May whatever you say come true. Amen. And Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said the same thing. Because of going to the cross is so tremendously difficult, he's asked God the Father, is there any other way of not going to the cross? But yet at the same time he said, not my will, but yours. Not my yours. Not my king, not my will, but yours. So when we actually pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are actually affirming that God's will must always come first. Secondly, we are also affirming that God's will is best. God's will be best. When we pray for God's kingdom reign to come, we are affirming our trust in God to answer our requests appropriately. We are saying that we believe God knows better than we do when it comes to our eternal good and His earthly glory. He knows what furthers His eternal kingdom best. And so when we say, affirming that your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are affirming that God's will is best. Do you know sometimes unanswered prayers opens the door to something better? As what Oscar Wilde says, and if God wants to punish us, He answers our prayers. 
Sometimes unanswered prayers opens the door to something better. Early church father, St. Augustine, before he became Christian, before he converted, he was a, a pleasure seeker. He lives a life of, uh, um, you know, there's nothing that stops him from doing what he wants to do. And for 15 years, his mother, by the name of Monica, prayed for her son, Augustine. And when Augustine finally converted, because of his history, because of his past experience, the richness, he was able to, to, to set the course of Christian thought for centuries, making him who he is in the same because of his past. And he mentioned that once his mother, Monica, prayed all night for him, asking God that God would prevent him from going to Rome to indulge in his, all his senses. But somehow he managed to trick his mother and sail to Rome. And he said this, he said it was on that trip to Rome that Augustine became a Christian. And then reflecting later, he said that God denied his mother once in order to grant her what she had prayed for always. God denied his mother once in order to grant her what she had prayed for always. So sometimes unanswered prayers open the door for something that is better. Have you heard of this phrase called the keyhole theology? Of course, our modern doors don't have that kind of keyholes. Uh, but if your house is one of those old houses, you have those doors that still have this kind of keyholes. Maybe you don't already have the keys. When I was in England, we went to our friend's church in the countryside. Literally, no exaggeration, his key is that big. This type of key. And the lock, the hole is so big. So we, I have fun, you know, doing that and taking photos because I've never seen such a big keys before. Only on 21st birthday maybe, you know, but, but, uh, but I've seen such a big key. But you know keyhole? Keyhole, when you look through, you have only tunnel vision, isn't it? You can't see the, the side, the anger. You can only see straight. You can't see this way. And so sometimes our life is like that. This is called keyhole theology, principle of suspended judgment. We can only see the, the front. We can't see other anger. But God can. God has vision all over that we can't. We can't see that. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, your will be done, your kingdom come, we are acknowledging that God's will is best. Did you know that in the past, uh, during the communist time in China, there were many, many, many missionaries in China under the Huxon Taylor's time? And did you know that Huxon be, uh, the person that succeeded Huxon Taylor was the name by the name of Dr. Horst. He actually, every morning, he spent four hours walking 
And in his four hours of walk, he would pray for every missionaries under his mission organization. He counted that task his chief responsibility as leader of the mission. And he mentioned each missionary and child by name in prayer. But within a few years, we all know, uh, under Mao Zedong, he would evict all 7,000 missionaries from China, including all those for whom Hoist prayed for every day. And as a result of that, they relocated to places like Philippines, to Thailand, to Singapore, to Hong Kong. And because of them being driven out, they were forced to explore other countries. And as a result of that, all this gospel continued to spread to many parts of this world. Sometimes an unsuppress opens the door to something better. The principle of suspended judgment. Charles Spurgeon said, Although we may not understand all of his purposes, we know that God is too righteous ever to do wrong, too loving ever to be unkind, too wise ever to make a mistake, and too powerful ever to be frustrated. It is to our gracious and sovereign God we look for strength and help. God's will comforts God's will always the best. Always means always because we are fallen creature, because we are functioned by this keyhole. Theology governing us. That God knows best what is good for us. Number three, when we say the Lord's Prayer, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are affirming that one day God's kingdom will come at last. We are living in between this period of the first coming and the second coming. Jesus on many numerous occasions promised us that he will return. That is Christian hope. That is our Christian hope that there will be a time when Christ will return. When my sister-in-law died of cancer about 15 years ago, we went to visit her regularly in the hospital. And we said that we prayed for her and we shared the gospel with her. But my brother-in-law who wasn't a believer, criticized us. Say, you Christians are hopeless. You Christians love to capture people at their vulnerability and convert them. You are terrible. At the most vulnerable moment, you convert them. But I told him, I say, that is not that. We are giving people hope. What hope are you going to give to the dying person? That's it. Wait till you have your loved one. See whether you have this longing reunion with your loved ones. See when you lost a child. See whether there is a hope for you or not. 
Atheism is good. Don't believe in God gives you hope. It's a, one of the most cruel philosophies in the world. It says that that's the end. Right cannot be, 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 be. wrong was triumph. But when we affirm that giving people hope that one day God's kingdom will come at last, it is not a false hope. It is a hope that's grounded in reality. Because human beings, we long for that. You know, you listen to your own heart. And let me give to you in my conclusion very quickly five images of what this new kingdom will look like without going into detail. Just the Bible verses and the bullet point. The first one Jesus told us in his God's word is that there will be no hunger. There will be no hunger. Revelation chapter 7 verse 16 says, Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. Think about what that would look like in the future. No more pictures of little children with swollen bellies. No more stories of entire people groups suffering because they don't have clean water to drink. In the future kingdom, when Christ dawned, inaugurated kingdom, consummate, there will be no hunger. Secondly, there will be no war. How many people are sick and tired of war? How many families are, are disrupted? How much lives have been disrupted because of war? But in the future, there will be no war. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4 says this, He will judge between the nations and he will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their sword into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Do you know where this verse is placed? It is placed outside UN headquarters under a statue of this man. This is outside United Nations building. It's a sculpture of a man hammering a sword into a plow. And interestingly, this sculpture was created by a Soviet artist and presented, presented it to United Nations in December 1959. And on the sculpture are these words from Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. Will we ever have permanent peace? Yes. Isaiah painted a beautiful picture of the peace we look forward to. He will judge between the nations and he will settle dispute for many people. They will beat their sword into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Thirdly, there will be no fear no hunger, no war, and no fear. Isaiah 11 verse 6 to 9 gives us a beautiful picture, something that you will never experience here on earth. Never. Never means never. It says, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. 
and the little child will lead them. Can you imagine that in the zoo? <laughs> the cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of a cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. Will it ever happen here on earth? Can you go to zoo and open the gate, put your child into the lion's den? Unless you're Daniel and survive, this is a future kingdom you will never experience here on earth. The consummation of the kingdom is in the future, not here now. The fourth one is you will know beauty. If we know beauty, we have not really known beauty yet. How much of our imagination can our brain conceive are not beautiful enough? Did you know that the most expensive house in the world is Buckingham Palace? It costs $6.7 billion. It is located in the city of Westminster, London, it comprises of 775 rooms, 78 bathrooms, 92 offices, 19 state rooms, and it has been the official residence of the monarchy since 1873. In terms of size, the palace checks in at approximately 828,000 square feet. And the garden alone is 40 acres. God's kingdom will also be a place where our hunger for beauty will be satisfied. John refers to this in his vision of the city of God in Revelation chapter 21, verse 21. I know it's a bit too small to read. I'm just trying to capture some picture. Even then, it's still very limited. This is what John's vision of the future city says. Now the dwelling of God is with men. Sorry. Uh, the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made up of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. Can you imagine there's 12 gates? I don't know how big the gates is, but each gate is being made up of a single pearl. I don't know how big is the gate, but the gate is a single pearl. And there are 12 there. And then it's also said the great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. It will be a place where there is no more ugly pollution, no more run-down inner-city buildings marred by graffiti and broken windows. It is a perfect, beautiful place that our mind cannot even conceive or imagine. Beauty. Lastly, the future kingdom is you will know satisfaction. You will know satisfaction. All the things that you long for, all 
your physical needs, emotional needs, mental needs, spiritual needs, they all will be met. Revelation 21, John in his vision says, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. No need tissue paper. No need to go around different shopping centers hunting for tissue papers. There will be no more death. No more funeral parlor. You'll be out of business. Or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has come to pass, has come to pass. You will know satisfaction. When I was in my youth group growing up in the church, we always sing this song. I don't know how many of you know this song. Maybe the older one, you've been in church long enough, you'll know this song called You Shall Go Out With Joy. Do you know this song, Jai? You shall go out with joy and be left forth with peace. You know, and the mountains and the hills will break forth before you. There'll be shouts of joy, and all the trees of the fields will clap their, clap their hands. Can you imagine trees clapping, moving the branches like clapping hands? And it is in Isaiah chapter 55. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field, they will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. And instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown. For an everlasting sign that will endure forever. So this will be the future kingdom. Already... Not yet. Present already God's kingdom, but still complete consummation of it still in the future. And we live in between this time. And when we pray, your will be, your kingdom come, your will be done. We are asking God, your future kingdom come to us here on earth quickly. Let me finish with this. I read from Christianity Today an article and in it the author mentioned about this man by the name of Richard John Newhas. Most of you do not know him. Uh, he's an author. He was in uh, George Bush, the late president uh, administration, advising him on social ethical kind of issues. and. And he was invited to deliver a speech. And in the article, this particular person went to the airport to pick him up, to send him to the place of meeting to deliver the speech. And while in the car on the way there, that man lamented to, to uh, Richard John Newhouse. Because since he's a social critic, he, he knows a lot of stuff. He, he just keep on whinging and complaining and, and lamenting about, about the disintegration of the American social fabric and the disappearance, disappearance of Christian values from their culture, 
So you're just complaining. And we can say that about the same thing here in Australia. Uh, everything is disintegrating, uh, Christian influence and all that, which is very part of the fabric of, of the country. And so he, he was just lamenting to, to Richard John Newhouse. And after hearing all this, Richard Newhouse just turned over to him and said this to him. And this was written in an article. said, the times may be bad, but they are the only times we are given. Remember, hope is still a Christian virtue, and despair is a mortal sin. The times may be bad, but they are the only times we are given. Remember, hope is still a Christian virtue. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That is our hope. And despair is a mortal sin. While we are here, we can be used by God to advance His kingdom. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for teaching us to pray, Hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You have already ushered in the kingdom of God when you came to dwell here. And when we believe in you, when we accept you, acknowledge you to be our Lord and Savior, you begin to reign in our lives. The kingdom of God has dawned upon us. We allow you, you, you then will sit on the throne of our hearts and rule over us. But yet at the same time, we still experience many, many pain and struggles in this world because of the not yet. You will return soon one day and you have charged us to live for you, to shine for you, so that many more will allow or that you will then reign over in their hearts. Help us to remember that this is the time that we have. This is the time that we are given. Whatever circumstances or situation that we may be in, hope is still a Christian virtue. And despair is a mortal sin. We live for you here and now, and we long and look forward to the not yet of the future. Thank you, Lord. As we sing this closing hymn, we once again want to acknowledge you are our God and we want to surrender our lives to you. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name.